0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Atmosphere podcast. Today I'm speaking with Mary Melberg. Mary is a licensed clinical rehabilitation counselor as well as an adjunct professor at Portland State University and has also taught various classes at Lewis and Clark College. In this episode, Mary discusses how the pandemic has affected her academic work, specifically the immediate shift from in-person to video teaching, right as she was getting into the groove of teaching. We also explore the ramifications of a horrific accident where she found herself questioning existential themes of deep loss, meaning, and how to proceed in accordance with this new reality. We also explored unique complexities related to her relationship with her mother. We also reminisce on how she introduced me to caribou ten years ago while I had no idea of what on earth was in that Tupperware bowl she brought to class that day. This was an enriching conversation with quite a bit of emotional range, and I hope you all enjoy getting to know this wonderful person. So without any further ado, here is my conversation with Mary Melberg. Hey, hey, everyone, here we are with Mary Melberg. Mary, welcome Hi. to the Atmosphere Podcast. Nice Hi. to see you.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes.
0: Thank <laughs> you. Thank you for being here. Um, for those who may or may not know, we've known each other goodness, t- 10 years. Ten years. Yeah. Ten years. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs>
1: How are you doing these days? Oh, man. You know. I don't. Is doing as best as I can, <laughs> given the pandemic. I've been doing everything from home, so. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. What, what have you been up to? I guess maybe we could start since most of these episodes end up starting with things related to the pandemic. What was happening before career-wise and then how was it affected, if at all, by the
1: pandemic? Yeah, so um, I was, I had a a full-time private practice. I still do. It's not full-time right now, but uh, I had a full-time private practice and was teaching, Um, at Lewis and Clark as an adjunct for the art therapy class uh, program over there. And um, yeah, I was teaching their diversity and social equity course. So that was a lot of fun. And, um, And then I had just gotten hired on at PSU for the clinical rehabilitation counseling track. And I ended up being the program coordinator over there and was teaching a bunch of classes, like six of their uh, CRC classes over there. And, um, and then so I was in my first year, second term, and then the pandemic hit. So oh, wow, yeah, so I and I in my private practice, I had two different locations, because um, I just was really concerned that I was going to get bored with whatever I was doing wherever I was doing it. So I wanted to like, kind of maximize my uh, I don't know different outlets and um so when the pandemic hit uh since that like i think it was like march 11th was the last time i saw anybody in person and then i went uh we had to switch all our teaching all our classes to virtual in like three days we had like three day notice
0: yeah oh my god that time
1: Yeah. It was ridiculous. And, you know, all my clients were fine with it. Some of them were like, Oh, I'll I'll reach out when it, you know, when we come back from the thing, I'm like, okay. You know, in a month when this thing's over, people were thinking that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, They did end up calling me back later, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it just was like a transition overnight. Yeah. That's what I'd been doing was teaching and seeing
0: clients virtually. Now we really haven't talked in a long time because I didn't even know that you were like what okay, Um, I I don't I don't because I'm thinking okay well, it is possible that there might be one of the millions of listeners listening may not know who you are so maybe we should start at the top because now I'm like, I I know but you know people people don't you know you know, what are you? What is you? What are you? What is what is your 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 um What type of licensure do you have? What is your your title?
1: Yeah, so I graduated from Portland State University in 2015. That much and, I know. Yep, as uh-huh. a clinical rehabilitation counseling person, yeah. counselor, uh-huh. and um, about uh, right after I uh, was doing part time at Cascadia um, for the older adults and um part-time private practice and as an that- intern still mhm yep yeah. i was being uh a, back then it was called a, a lpc intern but now it's lpc associate associate's right yeah and um yeah for about 2 years i was able to get my hours to get licensed and so now i'm an lpc as well and um yeah and then i left cascadia cuz it was soul sucking. (laughs) And and I thought I could just do like full time private practice. And that was it. And that was not it um, for me. So.
0: So there was a bit of a process of discovery as you were like trying to figure out what is the best fit for me?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was hard because I hadn't I had not had like a full like one full time Monday through Friday job in like decades. (laughs) Like I had been, you know, I had two, three jobs for a long time when I was younger. And then I got into school. And when I was in school, it was like, everything changed every three months. Um, And I was in school for almost 10 years. So by the time I graduated, I was like, really concerned that I wasn't going to be able to do like a nine to five in an office type setting um so it it was a, a huge kind of figuring out what am i capable of doing and will i lose interest because that was always the thing that had happened when i was younger uh-huh and so yeah so i was just trying to, everything that i could so you sort of get into something and then
0: you're kind of like yeah i think i might want to do something else has that kind of been historically a little bit uh, your yeah approach?
1: when I was younger I would like get a job and um I would like ace it you know like I I would just like go in people were like oh my god you just like picked up everything super fast and then I would like kind of figure it all out and within like three to four months I would just be like I'm bored now like I don't Or I'd be like, I want to take some time off. And then you're like, you can't. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to leave now. Bye. You know, like, I'm. (laughs) so I didn't have like a really strong work ethic, I think, as far as like my time and what I wanted to do. Um, And so, yeah, when I was in school, that worked really well for me. And that kind of rhythm that like every three, four months, it would change. Um, And so I was really afraid that that was gonna be an issue when I graduated. So as you notice,
0: after graduate school, sort of you, you're thinking, Oh, man, am I going to be able to do this whole nine to five thing? How does that feel for you as a person? Does that make you anxious? Does that make you feel like there's possibilities? Or do
1: you know what I mean? I I
0: was
1: was terrified. Like I had, Mm -hmm. you know, it was in my um, I had two terms left of my undergraduate degree at PSU when I had like that big big car accident that I had, had been in. And at that time it had just knocked everything out from under me. And um so I had had to learn how to walk again. I had lost family in the accident and So when I was like trying to finish up this, like at that point, it had been like six years worth of schooling, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life, I didn't know where I was going to go, and I didn't realize the long term effects of that accident as far as like pain and emotional and all the other things, I just had assumed um, that, you know, I'll survive. It'll be fine. Whatever. Move on. Um, I had never broken a bone in my life. So I thought it was like, this will be fine. Um, and I like broke all of them. So it was, Oh man, jeez. Um, yeah. So it was, it, there was a lot of turmoil just in what am I going to do with my life at all at that point? And what year was this? Is it
0: okay that by the yeah. way that we're talking about this, you're cool. With
1: yeah, it? yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been a while now it was December. Um, In two thousand December thirtieth of two thousand nine,
0: December thirtieth.
1: Wow, yeah. So it was, and it was two terms before the end of my undergrad, and Mm. I finished barely. Like I don't. It. I just know I had a really really hard time with it. Um, I had to take a term off because I was out of state recovering and um and I and I felt like I had something going on with my brain like um but because so many of my injuries were significantly worse like I, the doctors were only really focusing on certain things when I would talk to them about what was going on with my brain they were just like oh yeah you know of course your brain got jostled a little bit whatever so it never really got addressed and it wasn't until I got into grad school um that I realized that I had a traumatic brain injury and that shit was really affecting things um but I didn't even know that I was going to go to grad school to begin with (laughs) now was was
0: your was your life in danger at any point
1: technically yes I mean I didn't feel like it but um so I had been driving across, we had, uh, me and my family, I had a partner at the time and she had a, an eight-year-old son. And I, uh, referred to him as my stepson, just because I didn't really have another language to describe our relationship. And, um, and our family had gone, driven across to the East coast to visit our family for Christmas. And, um, and I remember it was so clear that like the day of Christmas, I was sitting there and it was like, Cameron was his name and um, his like best friend, Quante, who he, we just like adopted him basically. his He spent Thanksgiving and Christmas with us. I don't know why his family was like, yeah, go ahead, take him (laughs) across the United States. Um, But it was like our little family. And I was, and I remember sitting there and just being like, oh my God, this is my family. This is what I've always wanted. And it was literally like two days later everything went away, you know, like we were driving back and we were bringing her uh, my partner's sister with us and her cousin and they we, we were going to like all live together, I don't know what we were thinking but. Um, we were driving back and we were I had just driven a bunch of hours and her sister was then driving and her sister was young she was like 21 um I've driven across the United States a few times so I know what it's like to be on long road trips and how a how quickly and like creepy it is to just like fall asleep at the wheel or like get so tired all of a sudden when you don't expect it yes Um, and I think that she didn't have any experience with that and um, so we had um gotten through, we were in Wyoming, in the middle of nowhere in Wyoming. And I I was sleeping, And I remember, um, I had been like laying across the seats, and I could feel the, um, you know when the car oh when it hits the side of the the lane and it's right it's like yeah 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 and i was like oh and i didn't open my eyes but i remember thinking like oh she's she's falling asleep at the wheel and then the next thing you know i and but then i like felt her correct and um and then the next thing i felt that like lurch you know when you would like go over a big bump or something, or a big hill in a car, and you get that like lurching in your, your body. Stomach. Yeah, yeah. I felt that, and I, re- and I still hadn't opened my eyes, and I thought, oh, that's not good, we're flipping now. And the vehicle, we were on the freeway had flipped, it hurt about five times, and everybody in the vehicle except for one person had been ejected, and so I had come to like ride as I was like skidding to a stop on the freeway. And um, this is like seven o'clock in the morning. And I was like the first person with oncoming traffic coming my way. So I was like, and I couldn't see everybody. I just saw a couple people. Um, so you're literally lying on the road, Mary? hmm yeah. And I had tried to get it because I was like, you know, the boys, Cameron and Quante, like, are they okay? I saw one of them laying down and I I couldn't, I went to get up and I could feel my pelvis just like fall in on itself, like just, and I was like, oh, I'm not gonna be able to get up. And um, I was like, but I can wiggle my toes. So I guess I'm not paralyzed, whatever. But I just wanted to make sure that the truck or the car that was coming ahead didn't hit us. Um, and they stopped and uh and people got out and um i i just remember just feeling really powerless because i was like i can't get up like i know i'm fine i didn't realize how not fine i was um because i felt like oh this will i'll be fine i'm not paralyzed whatever um but nobody would tell me how the other people were doing nobody would tell me how cameron was doing And, um, and so then we all got, you know, uh, you know, went to like the airport or not the airport, the hospital in Wyoming. And then a few of us got medevaced to Colorado um, because we had to have a bunch of surgeries. And so I had um, an open book pelvic fracture, which just means like it just popped open. And then the back kind of disconnected and crashed in on itself so I have a bunch of metal in my pelvis now when they put it all together and um I had broken my patella and then I had like the toes (laughs) my toes dislocated and that pad on the bottom of your foot ended up on top and so they had to go in and surgically like put all that shit back so it was like Frankenstein kind of thing um, and a punctured lung all kinds of different things you know so I when I'm like in the hospital I was like still thinking like Jesus this is a lot of pain but also like where is everybody like where is Cameron okay where's Candy how much people? time has passed this is like at this point I was in the hospital for a total of nine days I should have been there longer but I desperately wanted to get out so I could go to the funerals because my partner's sister and son had both passed away, and so everyone was going back to the East Coast to have the funerals, and I was like, whatever I got to do, you know, and I remember, like, when the doctors come in in the morning to do their little update, I remember them being like, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to do that, and I I was just, like, bawling and just being like, well, I don't know what to tell you, because that's what I'm doing, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and they're like, Okay, Um, and that's what I did I went into I left they were as soon as they said, um, you know if you can get off the IV and take pills, I was like done let's do it, you know, like whatever I got to do went into a rehab Center for I think four days. um, and figured out like what do I got to do what do I need to know before you will let me go so I can go to the funerals and um yeah so we just like fast-tracked all of that and I got out of the hospital like the day before the funerals so I felt really glad I was able to do that but then that was like it (laughs) then I was like I did it now what you know um and I couldn't come back home because I didn't realize how inaccessible Portland was and how Portland housing was, that literally, literally every single person that I knew who lived in Portland had stairs going into their home. And I was completely non-weight bearing, so I couldn't use my legs at all. And so I was using a wheelchair. And so there was no option for me to just like take a couple steps. And I there was not a single person that I even knew as an acquaintance that had a home that I could go. And so I wasn't able to go back to my house. I wasn't able to go stay with family or friends. Um, so I was over there um, on the East Coast for about four months. I was non-weight bearing for four months. And the moment that I could like stand and it felt strong enough to drive, like I was still using the wheelchair, but I could drive. <laughs> So I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, done, I'm coming back. Um, but it was, yeah, it was like about I'd say about six months of just time of everything just being really out of whack. And it was such a devastation from having that moment of like, this is my family. This is what I've been wanting my whole life. Like, look at us. We're so cute. This is gonna be forever. And then days later, it was just completely. Um, disbanded and ended like, and I and I was still trying to like finish school because um, I was like, what else am I gonna do, you know? And I didn't know what the consequences, like the recovery and the side effects of all of this, would have for years to come. Of
0: course. Um, yeah. Oh, Mary, what's it like to talk about this?
1: It's not so bad now. Um, Every once in a while, it really like I had, um, this will probably make me cry. uh, Before Cameron had died, he was eight years old. And he had come up to me one time and he was like, Mary, will you, um, when I turn 18, will you go get a tattoo with me? And I was like, "Fuck yeah!" <laughs> you know. And I was like, "Do you know what you want?" He's like, "Yeah, I want to get like an eagle on my arm." And I was like, "Sold!" Like, yes, absolutely. And um, was it last year? Year before? Whatever. He was born in two thousand. I think it was two thousand one. Oh fuck! No, I guess it was two thousand or. Um, he, he would have turned 18. And, um, and I, for a long time had been like, do I wait until he would have been 18 and get a tattoo in his honor? Do I get it and then finish it? You know, like all these different options. And I didn't know. Um, but on his, uh, birthday, when he would have turned 18, I went and got a tattoo in his honor. And, um, just my little eagle feather you can not (laughs) see because I was like I'm not going to get an actual eagle but I'll get a feather um and that was that was like what I could do but um yeah I mean I think now every year is different um I I've noticed definitely if I don't do anything or I don't acknowledge it um it doesn't feel good. Like it's not, something's off for me. So I have to do some sort of acknowledgement um, whether it's just like a post on Facebook or I went and watched a movie in his honor one time. Cause we had gone and seen a uh, cloudy with the chance of meatballs. And so when the second one came out, I went and watched it and was like, you know, so just whatever random thing that I feel like helps me feel connected to him, I'll do that. But, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Mary. God, this is. I I had no idea the severity, the yeah. the 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 absolute, just bigness of what happened
1: that day. Yeah. How how many how many deaths? There was just those two. Um. The other. Um. Yeah. So it was just him and her sister. Um. Quante, who is his best friend had had um, all I know is that he had a brain injury like his skull had cracked and so he had been medevaced directly from the site um, and um, but he's I follow him on social media sometimes and just like check up on him and he's He's doing fine, living life He's like a man now. I think he had a baby or mm, some shit. I was yeah. Like what? Okay. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's everybody else is living life. Yeah. Oh, geez, man, that's heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So at that point, when it right after it happened, and I was like finishing up grad, uh, undergrad, I I didn't know what I was going to do. My, all my future had been hooked on this, you know, having a family thing and to,
0: and, and in a second, everything just, just flipped
1: upside down your entire mm-hmm. life. Yeah. So, and I didn't know that was when I was like, oh, okay, I could go anywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> but then I ended up being like, well, everybody that I actually care about has, you know, a home in Portland. So I guess I'll just stick around here. And um, I, at that point, didn't think I could, I mean, I wasn't able to work enough to support myself um, given my condition. So um, I had to go to school. That was like my only option in order to like financially be okay. And so I was looking at the different programs at PSU And I didn't even know that rehabilitation counseling was a thing. I had no idea that it was out there in the world. And so when I was clicking through the different options, you know, like clinical mental health or school counseling or marriage family, I was like, oh, no, I don't want to do that. And then when I saw rehabilitation counseling, I automatically thought it had to do with drugs and alcohol. And I was like, I don't really want to have like, I don't really want to do all just that, but it was the last one. So I clicked on it and um, it actually just talked about um, working with people with chronic illnesses and disabilities. And I was like, oh my God, I think I know a little bit about that. I would love to check that out. And I didn't, I don't know why I, I don't know where I got this idea, but I had just assumed that grad school was like undergrad where Like, if you just apply and show up, like, you get to go. (laughs) I didn't realize it was, like, this hugely competitive thing. So, So I just, like, applied. And when my friend was like, have you heard back from them? Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, yeah, I have an interview coming up. And she was like, that's a huge deal. I was like, Really? And you're like, no, there was like 400 <laughs> some applicants. Like, that's a big deal. I was like, oh, shit, I had no idea. Um, so when I got in, I was like, oh, fuck, like, I really got to do this. Um, but that was when I really realized that the traumatic brain injury that I had sustained was really impacting uh, my ability, because I thought I could just do it. Um, and I It was like that first term, one of the really easy classes. I had, uh, it was like one of those papers where it's like, read these articles of these different testing things and, you know, do a summary of it, like super basic. Like we should have been able to do this. And I thought I had nailed it. Like I was used to being like AB student, When it comes to writing and stuff like that, I was not. So I was used to writing things where I was like, yeah, I could have done better, but whatever. But this one, I was like, I fucking nailed it. Like, dropped the mic, got this shit down, turned it in. And when I got it back, the professor had written on there, like, I don't know how you got into grad school based on this writing. Like, I'm not even going to grade this because you would fail. And Oh Jesus. It was moment. like, it was shocking to me. I was like, holy shit. Like this, that was the first time when I realized like my brain is not, like
0: it's, so, it's off. so
1: off. Cause it was not, I thought I had nailed it. This wasn't like, oh, I could have done better. It was like, I thought and my perception of it was so off and it had taken me so long to do this, like two, three page paper, you know? Um, and that's when I realized, like, fuck, like, I, I need to figure out what's going on. And I had read an article about college students who have traumatic brain injuries. And I was, like, reading it and just being like, oh, my God, this is me. Like, not just the memory things, but all the emotional things, all the physical things that were happening. I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm experiencing. And then it had, like, all of the accommodations that help students Um, with traumatic brain injuries in college, here are the things that they can do. And so I signed up for, um, through the DRC to get these accommodations. And I had a friend who helped me um, and, that's literally the only way that I was able to get through grad school. Um, I had gone my entire schooling career without ever really having to study very much. I didn't usually take a whole lot of notes. I just was like naturally kind of good at school and I had to learn how to take notes. I had to learn how to study and I, you know, that's hard after at that point like six seven years of schooling um in higher ed to like then have to learn how to study while I was in grad school so it was rough holy
0: shit Mary I had no I mean obviously I at this point I knew you and we were in contact Mm -hmm. like daily especially that first year where we all took the same classes and I didn't know you have such a such a bright Spirit like I always remember you like I have this vivid memory of you uh in uh in that cultural uh, ironically the <laughs> stuff you teach now and and you had you had a Tupperware with uh was it, it caramel I still don't yeah. yeah and I'm like oh shit Mary brought steak how cool of her and you're like, anybody want to try caribou? And we're all like, what the fuck is caribou when it's at home? What's that? <laughs> I had no idea. So, yeah. Are you a, are you a hunter? Do you have hunters in your family? Does, does that get purchased <laughs> no, so at that, Whole Foods? What, it's what a whole that?
1: other story. But I, my mama, my biological mother, lives in Eagle, uh-huh. Alaska, which is like being aware. And she Ah, hunts and fishes subsistently and she sends me jars of moose and caribou and salmon all the time, even though I tell her mama I don't need it. She's like, yes. Um, But what's crazy is that I had just found out um, around that time, uh, right after the car accident actually, is when I found out that she was my mom. Um this was a woman that I had known when I was growing up but she and everybody had denied that this was my mom and no one really knew it was all like very like secret and there was rumors but nobody could ever really knew and she was very adamant that she was not my mom so I never believed that she was and um but I didn't ever like go through the system so it wasn't like there was like an adoption process that you know, there was like some secret file that I could find. Um, so it was just like, I don't know, you know, I don't know where I come from or what's going on. But um I found out because I had planned, <laughs> it's just so weird to me. Okay, so when I met my girlfriend at the time whose son had and sister had passed away, her name was Candy, and she um had seen a picture of this woman and she was like, That's your mom. And I was like, no, I don't think so. You know, whatever. I feel like she would have said it by now, whatever, you know. And she's like, no, that is your mom. She's like, I'm having dreams about it. Like, that's your mom. You need to find out. And, you know, I've growing up, I've had so many people be like, you should get a, you know, an investigator and go find out. And I'm like, I got nothing for them to even go off of. <laughs> you know, there's no paper trail. Right. Who am How am I going to have to go check right. out? Um but she was the first one that actually was like, you should get a DNA test. You should steal some of her hair and like find out who this person is. And I was like, what? I never even thought of that. And then um, this was right before the accident. So we're talking about all that. And I'm like, that's crazy. And then um, and then after the car accident, I was like, okay, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go track this woman down and I'm going to steal some of her DNA and I'm going to find out. Um, It's not as simple as like getting a paternity test. Like that's like a simple $50 thing you find out with the mitochondrial, like anything with the female side of the DNA spectrum, it's like, there's a separate test for figuring out if it's your mother or your aunt or your grandmother, or just a female in your family, you know, like there's just a bunch of different tests and then they're like a hundred dollars for each of them. So I just wanted to know if she's related to me in any kind of way, then at least I know I could maybe start researching her. Yeah. So, so
0: begin there in the broader. Yeah. My so i like contacted
1: her and I got on a plane. So, like, Eagle is one of those places that has, there's one road that goes into it that's seasonal. So it's only open from like May till September or something like that. Um, and otherwise, the only way you can get in is through the mail plane, which comes once a day, Monday through Friday, and it's completely dependent on the weather. So people can get stuck in there because the plane isn't gonna leave or they can get stuck out of there because the plane isn't able to get there. Um, So I had decided I was gonna catch a flight and take the mail plane in there (laughs) for one day. I was gonna be there for like one night and come back. And when I got there, I totally forgot to bring any of the stuff I was going to bring to steal her DNA. And that's when she finally like told me the truth and was like, I'm your mama. And, um, so then I was like, oh my God, like that makes so much sense. And, um, and that, and then I went and spent the summer with her that year. So I'd gone, I think in like March or April, um, and, And then I went for the summer and that's when I learned, you know, that she's like little, she's little like me. And she's like hunting. I mean, I don't know if you know how big caribou and moose are, they're fucking huge, like huge. And there's this like little woman who just like kills them and then like butchers them and like processes the whole thing herself. She goes, you know, um, fishing for king salmon, which are like three long, have very sharp teeth, did not know that. Um, and she goes net fishing. So it's like she getting like 60 of them in a season. And she does the whole process herself and jars them and, you know, like does all this stuff. So I got to be there and be a part of that and help her. And prior to the pandemic, I would go up every other year and um, spent like two weeks up there and help her with whatever, but, you know, so it was just like a huge, like, I find, finally find out who this person is after all this time, right after this huge devastation. Right. So
0: you're <laughs> in Eagle, Alaska, which is a place that has to be accessed with mm-hmm. a mail plane that when the weather allows Mm -hmm. goes once a day and you're there and this woman tells you,
1: Mm -hmm. I'm your mom.
0: What was that like?
1: It was, um, well, so the first thing is like we're sitting there for hours and she's telling me all these stories about me. Cause I remember like I had lived with her for some time when I was little and then I had been passed around. I was like, she would take me to people's houses and, and was essentially trying to find a new home for me without really going any official route and um, because I wasn't officially adopted until I was like seven I think Um, so all I knew was it it was this woman that I had lived with before and that I thought was my mommy but she kept telling me I was that she wasn't um and so she had like these photos of me, and she was like telling me all these stories about how I was when I was little. I didn't have any of that stuff. So I I just felt like an alien, you know, and people were like, I have a mom and dad. I'm like, I don't know where I came from. I just kind of plopped here and I don't have any record, you know, like I had a few pictures, um, but that was it. And so she's telling me all these stories, and I remember just being like, So where's how do you know my mom? Like how do you Where's that, you know? And she was like, mm. "I'm your mom." <laughs> and I was like, "What?" Um and I I just was so grateful that I knew who the person was cuz I didn't know. If I I had already gotten to a point where I assumed I wasn't ever going to find out. Um and that is okay. that it would be a stranger. Exactly. So it was it felt good to, to have it be somebody that I knew. And having, you know, every time I spend time over there, it just is insane. I'd never met anybody who thought like I did, who fought like I did. (laughs) And we think and fight very, very much the same. And it, it had been like a big learning curve for me. Like that's, like some of the behaviors that other people had like talked about um struggling with me, like partners and stuff. I would, I was experiencing from her, and I was gonna be like, holy shit, like this is what it's like to be on the other side of that. Like, oh that oh, sucks. Like, I don't want to do that. And I had to learn yeah. a lot of like, she's just as stubborn as I am. She is just as opinionated as I am. And so You know, we've definitely had um, kind of clashing, but it also had been so healing for me to know that like who I am and how I am is who I've been my whole life. You know, she just talked about how I was when I was even just a toddler and just knowing that like, oh, that wasn't like me being who I am isn't just a result of all of this trauma or chaos in my life growing up. It was like, part of it was just who I am. And um, being able to see somebody who is little like me and has all that passion like me and is out there in the middle of nowhere, living on her own, hunting and fishing and like doing shit is like fascinating to me. And it really helped me just be like, oh, I can do, I'm okay. I don't have to like fix what I feel like was broken. Cause it was so different than the people around me. That I was like, Oh no, she's doing just fine. Right.
0: Right. It's, it sounds like this really like rooted you, like planted you back in the ground, yeah. so to speak. Yeah.
1: It was weird too. Cause I, when I went to Eagle, I had gone there when I was little, like a baby And there were people who lived there, like Eagle literally has maybe 400 something population year round. So it's like small, there's no, there's no banks there. There's no police there. It's dirt roads. The library finally had gotten wi-fi so you could like go and like sit outside the library and have some wi-fi but like you know and they watch fox news all the time 100 um so it it's a very different world and it takes the last time i'd gone up there it took about 30 hours to get there because you have to fly into fairbanks and then you have to take a a bus like a shuttle to toke which is like four hours away and then from there my mama has to drive it's 168 miles from eagle to toke which is like the the little town that is the hub um and it's it's only 168 miles but it takes Four to six hours to drive it because it's unpaved and it's seasonal, so it's not always in the good condition. So she drives down, picks us up, and then we drive back. So by the time we get there, it's been like 30 hours just to get there, and it takes just as long to come back. And because it's so slow and rural and just out there, it's uh, very much a culture shock to be going there, especially in today's times where things are so fast and technology um yeah to to go there and then come back so it it helped me feel when I got there the first when I went back, there were people there who remembered me mm. and it was like the first time that I felt like I had a hometown. I was like, people know who I was. Like they remember me when I was a baby, where they remember me when I was a toddler. Like people had memories of me. And it I had never had that experience before of having any kind of hometown right, or a like a place you could return to, like literally a, a yeah. home base. Yeah. So that's that's what that experience was like for me. And the weird thing too, and this is I don't know how else to describe this, but. There would be times when I would have a partner, and every once in a while, there would be this smell that was like, kind of like how, it wasn't like their breath, or it wasn't even like pheromones, it was just, there was this smell, it was a sweet smell, And when I would smell it, it would just be so intoxicating. And I never knew like what that smell was, why that was so intoxicating for me, what it meant. When I went to go meet her um, and steal her DNA, I walked in the house and her entire house smelled like that. And I was like, oh, and you know, like I, I had been in school for forever at that point. So it was like, I knew psychology. I know the, you know, uh, nature versus nurture. And the more time I spent with her, the more I was learning that like, nature is a real fucking thing, dude. Like she, we had very similar experiences, even though we were not together, you know? And there was just so many things that I got from her that I, was like wow like that wasn't something that i just made up like this is literally like there it's in my blood literally in your dna and no urban environment
0: or big metropolitan city can take it away it's still it's still there and it's still you
1: how yeah one of the things it's like people always make fun of me because i for in my car i would always have like just all kinds of things just in case right like I got a tow rope. I got just in case I got extra socks. I got, you know, people would just be like, Mary, like, you don't need to have all that shit. And I'm like, but you never know, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> and I went to, we were getting, packing up to go hunting and she had her car all packed up and she was like, yeah, everyone always gives me shit um, for it. She didn't actually say that, but you know, she's like, everyone always bothers me about it. But you know, I just like to be prepared. I just like to know, just in case. And I was like, thank Same you. Thing. All right, I know <laughs> what that's exactly what that's like. Yes. I was wow. like, Yes. Okay. If she could be like that and like live, her- like yeah, I was like, I am unapologetically always prepared. <laughs>
0: so this happens. What year, Mary?
1: This was in what? God. I want to say it was like two thousand. 11 in in that space where we're at grad school right before right before grad school because part of it was like 2011 all oh, right 2011 yeah, yeah yep so the accident happened at the very end of 2009 and then that first year was just me finishing up undergrad and trying to just survive and figure out what the fuck i was doing and then and then i found out who she was and um And then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to grad school, I guess. Um, And then, yeah. And then that was that. (laughs) Jeez, man, what a story. Yeah. It's it's
0: interesting, you know, the whole nature nurture debate and what you're describing, which is such a clear example to demonstrate how real the nature part is too. Yeah. Because as... I know you, you know, one word that comes up for me when I, you know, think of you is like entrepreneurial. (laughs) You go try different shit and you kind of sound like an urban version Mm -hmm. of your mom. Yeah. You know, your businesses are like her caribou's or, you know, you just go do shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I thought like, <laughs> I'm, I'm too cocky sometimes clearly, but like when I went there, she's like giving me a gun to be on bear watch. Right. And I'm like, I got this looking on bear watch, whatever. And there were times where I was like, I am so fucking city. I don't know what the hell, like I would have been eaten. Like we're on a boat. I'm on the boat. And I have my little dog Rupert who's like has no teeth. I remember map. Rupert. He was, yeah, yeah, he was my little special boo. <laughs> yeah. And um we have a boat full of fish, right? Full of salmon. My mom is at the on the shore untying the boat and getting ready. And um, all of a sudden I noticed that she's like moving faster and, um, Uh-oh. and starting to pray. And I was like, mama, what's going on? And she's like, I smell a bear. And I was like, what the fuck does a bear smell like? You know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I looked down and Rupert is like at attention. Like he clearly smells it. My mama smells it. We're in a very dangerous situation because we have a boat full of fish in that bear yeah you have exactly what they want absolutely and I was like what can I do to help but I had never felt more city in my life because I was like I don't know what a bear smells like I'm not smelling it and how could you they are and um yeah so but she she's fucking badass she was like well let's just you know get on the boat and hurry on and get out of (laughs) here what amazing
0: God, what an amazing story. Yeah. Your whole your whole life, Mary. Yeah. Each day's a gift. Each day. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if there was sarcasm there or if you were totally legit. What's happening there? Maybe I don't know. A little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both, yeah. And that's the Mary I know and love. A little yeah. bit of both. Exactly yeah, yeah. right. So yeah. I, I'm gonna take a, a chance here and say that obviously the the horrific tragedy that was this accident really um, led you in the direction of rehab counseling yeah and, and also what stuck out for me and maybe you can talk a little bit about this now as you know more of an advocate than most how much we take for granted mm. our capacity to utilize a city or even a rural environment mm-hmm. uh, until we lose the capacity to use some part of our body and then mm-hmm. we suddenly realize how lacking cities are mm-hmm. in, in in that yeah would you say portland portland is h- how do you feel portland rates now as opposed to when that happened has there been some some there has progress been some you can changes speak of? yeah
1: it's it's still it's not great. One of the things that I noticed um, is that there's a lot of buildings that are accessible once you get inside them, or there were accessibilities, but it was set up for someone with a disability to have an aid with them or to have somebody with them. So like, yeah, I could get the door open kind of, but like it, I really have to have somebody open the door for me in order for me to get in. But then once I got in, the bathroom stalls were fine or the, you know, the hallways were fine, but I was shocked at how many times I could go somewhere and it would claim to be accessible, but it wasn't, you know, like the simple things like the little toilet seat cover things, when they put them up behind the toilet up on the wall when you can stand like that's not a big deal you just there it is but in a wheelchair it's like why why would you put that way up there you know why would you have the door swing in so you can't actually close it once you get in there you know like things that clearly somebody with a disability had not been consulted for that thing
0: that's exactly right Mm -hmm. right right clearly the people that did that don't have to even think about it
1: or the ramps were like really steep (laughs) I mean my upper body I gotta tell you that those four months like I was buff as shit and I was determined there were places where there were no um elevators or ramps but I wanted to get up the stairs and so I had (laughs) I went to go meet some friends and I drove there had my wheelchair in the back of the car like the back seat and um So I stop, I crawl back in the back seat, open the back door, get my wheelchair out, get in, close it, roll to the curb, jump out of my wheelchair, and then scoot on my butt, dragging my wheelchair up the stairs to get (laughs) into this building. (laughs) And people are just like, what are you doing? I'm like, what else am I supposed to do? Like,
0: this is, I'm trying to get somewhere. Um, That's what I'm talking about that that resourcefulness that is so well, I was gonna say it's so you but it seems to be so of your family, at least you and your mom, because she seems to have it too. Yeah. Yeah,
1: And when you talk to people who have chronic disabilities or illnesses and stuff like, it's really easy for people to be people who are not disabled, um, or have not gone through things like that to Mistake that as like you're so strong and you're, you know, like you're just so resilient. And it's like, I just remember anytime people said that to me, it was just like, this is not a choice. Like, what is my option? You know, like I can only be here in bed doing nothing for so long before I'm like, I got to get out. I got to go do something. I got to feed myself. I got to, you know, figure the next thing out. So this isn't about like, Strength and like nobody chooses this. You know what I'm saying? Like it's totally right. It's just this right. Is what you do. Yeah. And yeah. when you've had a condition for a long time, or like maybe it's something that you were born with, it's a congenital condition. You're just living life. Like there is no other way. You know. And this so, is this is the only life you know. Yeah, right? and then that idea of like you know it would be the worst if this happened, or I I would, I would kill myself if I ended up having to be in a wheelchair all the time, or, you know, like, people saying that, and it's just like, you say that now, but like, when you're in it, it's like, what else are you supposed, really, like, that's it, like, you're just gonna, because you're in a wheelchair, like, there are ways to get things done, you know, friends and family will try and help you out, you know, like, it's not, not to say that it doesn't have dark days. Like, absolutely, I've had the darkest days in my life um, since that time, for sure. But none of it is, is something that I would have predicted and would have, like, cut short because of. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, absolutely. it's just, it's life. I figure it out. And it takes a village. Like, that's the one thing that I've learned for sure is like, I cannot, anytime I say to myself, I got this, (laughs) I nailed it, I'm done, I'm good. I know that I'm like way off the mark that I don't got this and that I should probably check in with somebody else. Man,
0: you, you are, you are dialed in. And in part, I would suspect because of such adversity that you've dealt with, it's, it's it's, I almost feel like saying that very thing you you said people yeah. say in the you know but it really you there is a way that you are and maybe it's because I'm remembering you and how you were in grad school like there was just such a no bullshit like okay is this what needs to get done fucking let's do this you know yeah. and I really I I appreciate that about you
1: Yeah and I Part of the part of the thing that I've done for myself in because I do a lot of work around um, I work a lot with the BIPOC community and the disabled community here in Portland. And um, you know, I I teach that multicultural class now. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, I bitched about so much I was like yeah I'm, a, I'm about to go in there so I teach it now um <laughs> is that the class <laughs> the
0: class where I discovered caribou you're now the teacher of that class what a trip man
1: yeah fucking <laughs> nailing it yeah um which is so funny because I remember Brad being like, you know, I was bitching about it and he's like, well, you should come and teach this class. I'm like, I shouldn't have to. I was 2012. We should have all that. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then I, I called him and was like, guess who's teaching the class now, bitches? <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, like so much of the work that I do is about trying to dismantle these misconceptions these systems these things that get in the way of people living their life and um especially those who are marginalized and my own experience like doesn't there's never a point where i feel like that means that i know everything about it like if i work with somebody who um is an adoptee um i will I will often um, reveal to them that I am also an adoptee, but that my experience is not the same, right? And that there is just a knowing that can come with somebody who you know has been there that um, is just comforting for people. I know that has been the case for me. And so that's, that's one of the things that I'll share with people um, that I'm working with. And Um, the other part is that like, I can't, I'm not, I had spent so much of my life compartmentalizing in order to like survive shit that like, through my healing has been this integration of like, I don't want to keep everything so separate anymore. And becoming a counselor was a very big shift for me as a professional, as an individual, because I'm very private. Otherwise, you know, like, you wouldn't think that to talk to me but like just because I talk a lot doesn't mean I actually say anything you know and (laughs) and I really during grad schools when I was figuring out like these are going to be my colleagues and I was so used to keeping everybody so separate you know like my friends were not mixing with my school people you know um and my colleagues but there was a time where i realized like this is going to have to blend and that means i have to be who i am everywhere i go and so my kind of way of living that dismantling of these cultural like white supremacy culture and these expectations of what it's you know gender roles you know all the things that we deal with um my way of kind of dismantling that or working against that is to be who I am everywhere I am. So this is how I talk here. This is how I talk to my students. This is how I talk to my clients. So is how I talk to my friends and family. Like I don't, and especially because I'm doing work with people that is so like integral about like who we are and the systems that we're in. It's like, I cannot do that work and be fake. It's just not, it's like doing the complete opposite of what I'm trying to do. And so I was talking to a friend who, cause I'm like going to leave PSU and probably get into some like DEI work, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion type work. And, um, and I was like, yeah, I can't work somewhere that they're not going to let me cuss. <laughs> like, like if I can't be like this, doing that type of work, then that's not the place for me. And they were like, they were like, well, you know, like, you got to be professional. And I was like, you know, that's well, What does the that thing. even mean? In the, what in the a fuck does professional right. mean? Right. And this is what, like, if I'm going to be doing this work to dismantle so much of what society has told us, what our families have told us, to really get you know, help people figure out what is it that you actually believe? Do you believe that people should be in these boxes and constrained by these things and not recognized for the beautiful individuals that they are? Like, no, you don't. And so why do we need to, uh, you know, align with that if that's not what we actually believe? So I need to make sure that I'm following through with that. And this is my way of being able to do that, where it's like, wherever I go, if you can't handle this, then it's not for me. <laughs> it's not for you. You can't do it.
0: Yeah. I, I, I it, you know, I'm listening to you and, you know, one of the sort of uh, root things of, of wanting to do this podcast is to sort of demonstrate without explicitly saying it, how often folks just in their lives exemplify the tenets of existential thought and existential philosophy and existential therapy. And this is exactly what you're doing. You know, this, how do I live my life authentically with integrity and authenticity? Mm -hmm. And what happens when that rubs somebody the wrong way? Mm -hmm. What's to be done? What do I do when someone limits my Totality, you know, you are a certain way. And somebody might say, well, we can't accept that part, the cursing part. Then what do we do? How hard do we challenge? Do we challenge? Do we just step away and go somewhere else? What mm-hmm. does integrity even mean in that respect? What is it that really matters to us? Yeah. And, and I feel like I've always known you as that person. You know, you talk about being private and then sort of morphing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I met you probably day one of grad school, and I mm-hmm. I, I always experienced you as somebody with a deep integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's, it's... And the cursing it has time. always been there, just as a side note. Yeah. I do remember, it's like, oh, this is my kindred spirit. <laughs> yeah. <'cause that's>,
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, my experience has proven to me that, like, we don't know what it takes for somebody to show up we don't know where people are coming from and everything that it takes. And I remember sitting in a class very close to the end of the program. And it was a psychopharmacology class. And there was a student early, maybe first, second year student who was in the class sitting next to me. And And they were talking about like, you know, medication, like them, like the clients were taking these things. And I, and they said something and I looked at them and was like, you don't know my life. You don't know me. You don't know what it takes. None of us are exempt. Like many of us take medications. What the fuck are you trying to say? You know? And they're like, all right, I'm sorry. You're right. You know, but I was like. You don't know what it takes for me to show up. You don't know that I had to lay down for three hours. Exactly. Get ready to show up, you know, or what medications I had to take or what ways I needed to support myself in order to show up like this. Like you cannot you don't know. And I don't know what it takes for other people to do that.
0: That's exactly right. Again, you've tapped into another sort of core feature of our whole approach which is the phenomenology, what is the experience of the person? Yeah. And then when that hour ends and the next person comes in, then it's a different thing.
1: Yeah. What is their experience? Absolutely. And people know. People know when you like are being honest with them. People know when you have experienced things like you don't, like there's just a knowing that happens when you can sit in a room and not have to prove yourself or um that you i don't know like there's just that space and when people tell the truth like the capital T truth you know it like you can be in a room full of people and people can be checking in and being like yeah this is what's going on in my life and then there's that one person who like tells the truth and you feel it, like the energy shifts. And then next thing you know, you see this domino effect of like the next person telling the truth and then the next person. And I feel like the only way to create that is to create a space where like we show through ourselves that it's okay to do that,
0: you know? like Right, Uh, in in a way you model it and it's kind of a bummer what you just said because the fact that it feels so viscerally different is a testament to how rare it is. Mm That we would think like, oh shit, okay, that's real, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And it's also the 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 connective part of just sharing, because there's such a division in therapy, wouldn't you say? With you know, how much do you disclose? Guess, how much do you keep yeah. to yourself? Because I mean, you could still be an honest therapist and not disclose, for example, something about maybe being adopted or not. Mm-hmm. But the fact that one could say that you know I Mm. you know my dad was bordering he was verbally abusive at times or I wouldn't be lying if I withheld that from a client right but when I have a client with a similar experience I I share mine and then I actually ask is it okay Mm. how does it feel to hear me say that yeah And, and I can't remember a time where they felt that it was a detriment
1: yeah you know, yeah most of the time they're like what the fuck this is about me like how dare you <laughs> I'm out of here you know <laughs> Uh-huh but
0: yeah yeah and I've appreciated therapists when they've yeah. said to me personal things about their lives and I I felt less alone in hearing that
1: I struggled really really hard um and I had a lot of consultation and supervision around just that concept of what professionalism is and dealing with the chronic pain that I have from the car accident still, right? So I have like a bunch of uh, arthritis in my pelvis from that. And so there's times where like, I can push myself to the point where I can no longer walk, you know, like I, there's just, you know, and sometimes it's just cause I'm living life. They're like, what'd you do? Like I was just living. <laughs> like I sat too long. I walked too long. I stood too long. It doesn't really matter. Um, but being in this position of like trying to support myself and feeling like I don't think I can work enough to support myself and also take care of my body. And I remember, this was so fucked up, but there was um, a teacher, I think he was an adjunct teacher in the program and he had taught the ethics course. And right around the time when I found out about my traumatic brain injury, and it was right before I um, got my accommodations through the DRC, I had gone to him and I, you know, my entire schooling career up until that point, I had never talked to a professor about anything. You know, it was like, I didn't, they didn't even know about my life. Like mind your business, don't worry about it. I'm turning in the assignment, moving on. This was the first time that I was like going and letting them know that like, I just found all this out, you know, can you help me out with this or whatever? And he was very cold and was just like, you know, if you, you know, only if you are registered with the BRC, sorry, I can't help you and then he was like he was like you know and maybe you should find a different profession because there's going to be a lot of sitting and i remember just like that hitting me so hard and it was it took years to to get that to relax in me because it really was just like this i put all my eggs in this like i don't have an alternative And it just stuck with me all the time where I was like, fuck, I have to do a lot of sitting and it hurts my body a lot. And I would think like, was he right? Like, should I not be doing this? Like, what is the alternative? I don't know. And um, it took a lot of work in supervision and consultation and therapy and, you know just working through that to, to really decipher like, how do I support my body and myself? doing this work knowing that i'm actually doing something that is harmful to my body if i do it for too long right and Part of it was like learning how to let go of that idea of what it meant to be professional. So, you know, and I had very strict ideas of like, well, I'm supposed to sit in a certain way and we're supposed to be a blank slate, right? Like in therapy school is what we learn. I and remember, yeah, you like know, believing all that. Yeah. yeah. So then like learning that, like, I can sit on a chair and have have my legs up, you know, sit cross-legged. I, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to. And I remember the first therapist that I came across who had said at the very beginning, she was like, so I deal with a chronic illness. And um, so there may be times when I need to cancel kind of short notice or reschedule. And I just want to let you know. And I remember just like, it blew my mind that I was like, you can just say that? Like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. They broke, they broke the script. They, they ripped the script <laughs> like, apart, right? Bam, this is how it is. And it, it just like shattered every idea that I had about it. Cause it made me feel like, yes, thank you. I can just yeah, say liberating. Yeah. Like I can just do this. I can just tell people like, yep, I deal with a condition. I may have to pull my legs up. No big deal.
0: <laughs> you know? Or or stand or do the whole session standing or whatever. Yeah. It it yes. Authenticity. I'm I'm yeah. sorry about that moronic comment. Um a part of me is dying to know who the hell would have said that because obviously i would know them but you don't don't say it here you <laughs> not remember his name but you would know I don't, it. I, I don't i don't i don't i don't need the, the drama because like i said there's millions of people listening so um. <laughs> <laughs> i won't say anything more just know yes. that it happened and i know who. <laughs> yes um i i have a feeling i know who it is especially yeah. being that it was a comment that was so far from optimal um yeah. Mary, I'm always curious with everybody I talk to, whether it's musicians, therapists, whoever, um, what are some uh I guess we could say self-care or artistic pursuits? Like, you know, what do you do when you're not doing your, you know, your badassery of teaching and having
1: to practice and all that? Um you know, I don't fucking know. I have been like pushing and working for so long and i'm tired i'm fucking tired and um one of the biggest things that i struggle with is trying to figure out some work some way of like doing less work and getting paid more um so i don't have to keep recovering for each week you know cuz by the end of the week whatever it is that i'm doing has such a toll that I'm just like now I have to be horizontal for a day and that sucks cuz I want to like go do something and have fun um so I have I've just been doing so much working that I don't even know um that what I what I should be doing, quote unquote, <laughs> um, is a lot of um, body work. Like ideally what would happen is that throughout, like on a weekly basis, I would be seeing um, a chiropractor. I would be doing physical therapy. I would be doing um, massage therapy, you know, and like, not like, oh, I'm gonna go crack this and relax that like body work, you know, that usually is not very pleasant. Um, but allows, because I have got a lot of scar tissue, <laughs> there's a lot of conditions that are going on. And I think especially since the pandemic, I've been, um, I, I haven't gotten any body work done in the last two years, um, because it's, it's a, I don't trust very many people with my body, because people get really concerned when they realize how much metal I have. And, you know, they so they don't, they don't know how to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see.
0: They go in with a little bit of a uh, nervousness towards, towards their work. Be- yeah. I yeah.
1: Know. Or they just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and so, um, or that, yeah. If, so finding a practitioner and then like trusting that practitioner and being able to like afford that practitioner are all very big things. Um, so I feel like I'm at the precipice of, having a shift where I'm going to be able to have more time and space. I think because I've been teaching and doing my private practice now for the last several years, you know, teaching, there was a point where I was teaching like four classes in a term and having private practice. So FaceTime, like on video, even it was like a good 18, 20 hours. And that's not including the outside of that paper and, you know, paperwork and, you know, grading and curriculum setup and all this kind of shit. So it's, it was a lot. And it was the first time that I realized, um, just like a few months ago, actually, when I was like, I I think I've been working full time. <laughs> like, so I now know that I can physically work full time, which was one of my big concerns before. Um, so now it's just a matter of finding a job that can work for me. And prior to the pandemic, I was really, really concerned about um being able to, again to have a job where I went to nine to five because I need to be able to lay horizontal throughout the day at certain points. And um, you know, being remote has been really nice in the sense that like I can just go lay down now if I need to. Um, and prior to the pandemic, I was very afraid of of being able to find a job where I could have the ability to work from home at times or, you know, like take care of my body. And now I think that it's a lot easier for folks um, and a lot more accessible, which is like clearly so many jobs could be done remotely. Um, And now we can see that and people can be very productive and and awesome. And and even being able to work with clients remotely has been a huge asset for folks. Um, So I have a little bit more um, faith, I guess, in being able to find a job that will be able to fit my needs. And when I have that, then I will be able to do more of this self-care thing that people talk about. Um but that people talk about <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. To 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 be to be clear, Mary, I, I wasn't, you know, fishing for like, you know, is Mary doing it right? Is she getting the self-care she needs? I was, you know, even more like, are there records that you really love I'm listening lo- you to? Know, or, you know, just-
1: I'm a true crime, but like I love your there you time, go <laughs> uh, anything serial killer kind of shit like i have to be real mindful i have to be very careful and, and kind of pace because usually if i get like really into some dark shit that usually is an indication that like mm, i'm trying to validate something that's going on and um so being able to recognize that like okay i'm having a really hard time maybe i should be watching the opposite of that now you know <laughs>
0: see you're 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 fucking dialed in man like you you you're you're one you're one of us you're dialed in but yeah but it takes a while yeah i'm i'm curious real quick here as we begin to 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 finish up how how did you gravitate towards teaching? Did it have to do with having to take care of your body in a certain way? or? or it
1: was, to teach no, how? it was, so I have, no, I, I was not thinking of, <laughs> I, it was like, not my idea, first of all, right? So one of my best friends in the entire world, it is, I blame all of my success on her. She's the one who helped me get through grad school. <laughs> She's the one who like helped me get my private practice up and going. She's the one who told me I should teach. I was like every time I was just like pretty sure that's not going to work. Um pretty sure I'm going to fail. And uh, now I think after all these years I don't question it as much. Usually she'll be like you should do this thing and I'm like all right. Um but there was a time where she was like, you know, you should teach. I think you'd be really good at that. And I'm like, pretty sure I would not. And I don't want to do that. And then we were having lunch and she had gotten a call from somebody and it was somebody from Lewis and Clark being like, hey, one of the teachers that we had lined up didn't work out. Do you know anybody who could step in and teach this diversity and social equity course? And she was like, actually, I'm sitting right in front of somebody who I think would be a great fit. And I'm like, no way and she <laughs> hangs up and she's like you should do this and i was like pretty sure i'm not qualified to do that and um and then i, I was like fuck it all right let's let's try this and yeah they loved me and and that was a class that i love teaching and now that i'm like i had a similar experience with um ps like teaching um the The multicultural perspectives course and the so, uh, diversity and social equity course are the ones that are like, that's my class. That's the one that I feel the most confident in that I feel good about. I would love to continue teaching. The other rehab classes um, and some of the other classes I was teaching, I had a moment where it was like that um, at the beginning of grad school when I realized that my brain injury was like really altering what I thought was happening. Um, I had a moment like that with my teaching where I thought, I didn't think I had nailed it, but I thought I had been doing something that was helpful and good. And I the, re, the reviews that I got from that was that I was way off. And um, and I realized, I was like, you know, I don't have enough, I don't care about this enough to to get all the accommodations and do all the work to get better at this thing. And the students deserve better, and so I need to step down and do something else because I, I'm not willing to. I, I'm too tired now; <laughs> I don't have the energy that I did before. Um, so it's yeah, it was that that was harsh to deal with, but I feel like now I have a little bit clearer idea of um, what I'm good at, and I love teaching um type things i'm not a big fan of not a big fan of the evaluations (laughs) i'm very sensitive i don't like those things Um, Ah. but when it comes to like the multicultural class and the diverse that one i don't give a shit i'm like yeah i don't care
0: See that's interesting, and and to me one thing that I so appreciate about you is what you just exemplified here. You you always lead with authenticity. You know, you you look at the situation, you say this doesn't matter enough to me, so I got to yeah. step back from this. Yeah, and that and it's led by, like capital M Mary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, you're you're and. and and good on you for doing that and for modeling <laughs> that too.
1: Yeah. And I didn't think that it would matter. I thought it would be like, oh yeah, I'm just going to quit. Whatever. Students aren't going to give a shit. Um, and I, I had made a comment at one point and the students were like, what? You're leaving? And I was like, yeah, I'm not, you know, whatever. And they're like, I'm devastated. I was like, really? <laughs> I was like, I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't. My bad. I didn't realize that y'all wanted to like know that. And. They were like, oh, my God, we love you, da, da, da. you know, not everybody, obviously, but like some of the students and it just surprised me. And I was like, shit. Listen, the people
0: that are the most meaningful, in my humble opinion, are the people that cannot be for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you 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 shouldn't be for everyone. <laughs> you're kind of nothing if you're for everyone. Yeah. You you know, it's this. there's a blandness to that. Yeah so i love it man i love what you've done thank you and i i really appreciate the time you've given me here to do this thing and thank you for telling your story yeah (laughs) and for having and for having a great sense of humor and for having that fucking potty mouth yeah. that will not quit man i love that about yeah. you and uh yeah my kindred spirit yeah um, i love it i was yeah. like i
1: better be able to cuss on this thing because
0: this is how i do it no one has said it otherwise <laughs> so i guess it's fine <laughs> <laughs> but do you know do you know a guy named gary vaynerchuk he's a marketing like a hugely popular marketing guy who cannot stop dropping f bombs at like keynote addresses in front of 15,000 yes, people. That. Anyway, you might you might appreciate him. He's like this is who I am. Yeah. Like I'd be I'd be less than real if I stopped doing this. Why would you want me to stop doing it? Yeah. That's, Just don't be offended. Accept me as I am. What the hell? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. You know, and there's such great words to add a little oomph, yeah. you know?
1: Yeah. Really <laughs> puts that exclamation point on there. That's right. That's right. Um,
0: real quick here, as we end, Mary. Well, where can people find you online? I also want this to be a place for people if they want new clients. You know, oh,
1: or not. <laughs> <laughs> not Clearly. accepting any new clients right now because uh, I am maxed out. Um, I hear you. Um, let's see. I don't. I don't even know. I'm not really on. I'm kind of word of mouth person. My website is like super old. <laughs> so let's just say if people google Mary Melberg
0: and they want to know something, you'll come up. Yeah,
1: they'll find me on my uh website Solutions.com. That one. That's right.
0: That's where I found you. Yep. And to to reach out to do this. Yep, and I yeah. I have a
1: Facebook page for my business and but yeah, I'm not I'm not like up on the socials and keeping posts and doing i'm not I'm just not one of those people it's like i got time for that i hear you it can
0: get painful sometimes for me to have to upload things or post something it's like oh god
1: this is the shit 20 year olds do and i have to do right it too? It. <laughs> <laughs> but if people i'm a totally like i'm i'm best in person anyways or like virtually yeah. seeing people so like oh, sure. yeah. um i say this to all my students so my clients like if you ever want to like set up a time <clears throat> and connect like i'm totally down to give anybody any consultation advising suggestions i love telling my opinion on shit so if people want to reach out they can they answer pretty much anything so
0: there you have it Mary, thank you for not being a zombie. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for just being real and acknowledging the situations as they are, as they arise, and and being a human with them. I really appreciate that about you. Thank and you. Thank you so much for doing this. I feel so honored. Thank yeah. you
1: for thinking of me. This is very
0: exciting. Of, of course. Yeah. I'm glad we did this. Thank you so much, Absolutely. Mary. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, take care of yourself. Right, bye. bye.